Northside family, good to be with you and worship our King this morning. Real quick, can we just welcome everybody online to say hello to them, make sure you feel welcome and a part of things today. And my name's Nate, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, honored that you'd be here this morning as we kick off a brand new series called Icon. And what we're doing is as we work towards Easter, uh, we're gonna be looking in Colossians chapter one. So if you have your Bible, you can open Colossians chapter one. If you go to the New Testament, hang a right and just kind of keep going. It's one of Paul's uh, small books of the Bible. This is why I love Colossians one, it's this. Uh, it's only four chapters long, right? And so if you wake up tomorrow morning, you're like, I read a book of the Bible, like in 10 minutes. Right, but but it's not just that it's a short book of the Bible. Why we're going to be there is Paul actually gives one of the clearest descriptions of who Jesus is, and here's what we know about Jesus: the more we have a clear picture about Jesus, here's what happens: the more we have confidence in Jesus. See, a lot of times that's why we lose confidence in Jesus is we don't have a clear enough picture. And what Paul's gonna do for us over the next couple of weeks as we work through Colossians chapter one is you and I are gonna get a clear picture of our icon, of who Jesus is. And uh, before we open there, I just wanna take a moment just to celebrate what he's done. Last weekend, if you're here at the beginning of service, uh, I shared that we had 33 people get baptized last weekend and it was just powerful. Uh, one of my favorite moments, uh, we got a couple of pictures we'll be up here, but uh, before I share a few few stories. One of my favorite moments was uh, there was a, a, a man in his uh, early 20s who was getting baptized. And uh, I, I love just to get people's stories. And I said, how long have you been thinking about this? He said, since I was six years old. I said, about time. Right, you know, you know, here he is, you know, 15 years later. But this is what I love is that all of us are on this journey. Some of us, you began following Jesus when you were just, a, you know, eight, nine years old. I was baptized when I was 10. Some of us is different, but this is a couple pictures I love. One is this, Trent's there on the right getting baptized. He had his best friend in there with him and just getting to baptize. And there's nothing like watching the next generation step into God's calling on their life. And our prayer is this, that the church would get younger that we would continue to be mindful of the next generation and lift them up and call them into the kingdom of God. And then this is another story was this, we had three generations in the water. And what was so neat is to see grandma and grandpa baptize not just their daughter, but their granddaughter as well. And isn't it just amazing to see the kingdom of God flourish? It's one of these things that the kingdom calls for every person, every nation, to be able to turn from whatever they were following and step into this new life with Jesus. And that's why we're doing this series called Icon because Jesus is our icon. And it's not just about following him in that one moment. What it is is about this. It's about you and I now daily following him moment by moment. That you and I would open our lives to the things of God with whatever breaks his heart would begin to break our heart. And I don't have to tell you about the war that's going on in Ukraine right now. We're all very aware. The question for us today is this. What is God asking you and I to do about it? As the church, what you find about this is God's heart, even Jesus preached in Isaiah 61. His first sermon was this, that I've come to bind up the brokenhearted, that I've come to stand with those who are being oppressed. I've come to help those who have nobody helping them. And I wanna let you know just what we're doing real quick. I wanna invite you to be a part of this. One, we've been working with our mission partners in Romania. Right now, our mission partner in Romania is planning to take in 50 refugees right now. And uh, they're building more bunk rooms in their space. And uh, here's how you and I get to partner on this. If you go to our website, mynorthside.com, you can go there, you can click there. Here's the deal that they've worked out. They're planning on keeping and housing these 50 refugees that are coming for the next three months. And here's the invitation and the role that you and I get to play. 
Uh, for $10 a day, you and I can feed and clothe a refugee. $10 a day, 70 for a week, 300 for a month. Here's what I wanna invite you to do. Just pray about what the Lord might call you to do because all of us get to step up and be a part of helping those who are being hurt right now. And this is why we wanna have the picture in the image of Jesus because here's what happens in these moments of crisis and these moments of things going on, here's what I found out. The more I study Jesus is this, is that our lives become clearer when we see Jesus for who he really is. That when you and I see him for who he really is, you and I begin to move with more confidence in life. I know today is a sacred day. Some of you are like, why is it sacred? Because the brackets come out this evening, right? You know what I'm saying? And in Southern Indiana, right? You want to talk about an icon, right? Something that we worship. It's basketball, right? It's a way of life around here. Now, here's the thing when the brackets come out tonight. For a lot of us in this room, we don't have great confidence of who's going to be in, what's going to be ranked, and all this other stuff. And so we're going to wait to see what comes out. But the good news is Jesus says, I didn't wait. I've come to show you who I am and so that you can see me. And when you see me, you will have clarity for your life. doesn't mean your life will be easy, but you and I will have clarity of the direction that we're to walk in. See, we're trying to figure out who we are and you figure out who we are by figuring out who he is. When you and I look at our icon, Jesus, see, that's what happens about icons, right? You imitate your icon. You grow up, one of the buddies after service said, you know who my icon was growing up? I said, who was it? He goes, Hulk Hogan said, same here, brother. Right, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like one of those things. Matter of fact, uh, I remember uh, growing up, if, if I did my chores and I was good on Sunday afternoon, this is for some of you, uh, you know, parents in the room, uh, my parents would record uh, Saturday night main event wrestling, right? And then if I did good, I gotta watch that on Sunday afternoon, right? You know, because they knew that's who, that's who I like. And here's the power of an icon. An icon influences you. An icon begins to shape your life, it gives you clarity, it gives you purpose. And this is why Paul wrote the book of Colossians. I, I read this uh, as I was studying in this. All the commentators agree that the church in Colossae was the least important church that Paul wrote to. But what's amazing is this, the church that's deemed the least important got the most robust vision and wording of who Jesus is. See, that's who Jesus is. He's going, you may feel the least important, but I want to give you a picture for your life to step into it. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, this is why Paul wrote the book. He said this. He said, see to it that nobody takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Do you realize that we are not short on opinions today? Everybody's got their opinion. And guess what? If you want it, somebody's going to give it to you, aren't they? And Paul says, hey, church, hang on. Here's what's happening. Everybody else's opinion is becoming more important than the icons. And so this is what he writes in Colossians chapter 1. We're just going to hang here for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to read this passage. It's only about five or six verses. And then each week, we're just going to look at a verse so we can get a clear picture of our icon. You see the images behind us. You're going to see today that he is the king. Then we're going to look at how he is the shepherd. He is the artist. He is the anchor for our souls. He is the icon that we need. And listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. Paul just begins to write the most elaborate words. He wants people to know who Jesus is so that we can know who we are. And listen to what he says. 
It says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Real quick, that word image literally in the Greek is the word icon. It's where icon comes from. It's the image. He says Jesus is the icon. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You go, Paul, were you drinking a Red Bull when you wrote that, my man? I mean, he is hyped up. He's like, I want you to know that he is this and he is this and he's the firstborn over all creation and he's the one reconciling and he's the one holding it together and he's over every power in this world. And what he's doing is this, he's going, don't let any other opinion become greater than the voice of God in your life. Because it's the voice of God that begins to tell you who you are. It begins to call you into the life that God has for you. And what I want to do today is I just want to look at that first verse, verse 15. As a matter of fact, I, we're going to put it on the screen. We're just going to say it out loud together. We just want to hang right here. So let's say this out loud together. You ready? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You go, well, what does that mean, Nate? He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Here's what this means. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down, that Jesus is the icon for all time. He is the icon for all time. See, growing up, some of us in this room will have icons that we wanted to fashion our life after. Turns out, if I showed up to preach like Hulk Hogan, this church would be empty, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, here's what happens is this. Sometimes we fashion our lives after people, and then after a little time, we begin to go, I need a new icon. Or maybe you go into college and you get a degree and now you want to fashion your life after somebody else. And then that icon gets tired and you look for a new person to fashion your life after. And what Paul is saying here is this, is that Jesus is the icon for all time. You don't need to look anywhere else for the rest of your life for who to shape your life. Because really what he's saying is there's three things that we need to pick up today about the icon of who Jesus is. It's this. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. That Jesus is the authenticity of God. Well, we love authentic things today, don't we? Man, we want old, we want vintage, and we will pay big money for it. We want real substance and what Paul is saying in this passage is just that Jesus is the authenticity of God. But not only that, he says Jesus is the authority of God. He's the firstborn over all creation, which means this. He is worthy. There's been a new development this year in college sports. It's called the NIL. It's the name, image, and likeness. And now college athletes can get paid based on their image. 
Literally, college kids used to be able just to get a scholarship and that was that. Now, and, and you couldn't like do any sponsorships or anything. Now, businesses can pay these athletes to represent their product and get paid. So now here's what's happening. College athletes are making millions of dollars off their image because here's what people, even if you're not a Christian here, this is what people know, that your image is valuable. Your image is influential. And this is what's happening. In this passage, Paul says, you need to come back to understand that Jesus is the NIL of God. He is the name. He is the image. He is the likeness. Because some of us are here today going, you know what? I wonder who God really is. And you know who God would say he is? Look to who? Jesus. Well, I wonder who God would make time for. Who did Jesus make time for? I wonder who God would let in his church. Who did Jesus let in his church. I wonder how God would treat those who are far from him. How did Jesus treat those who are far from God? See, you and I begin to get a clear picture of who God is when we see a clear picture of who Jesus is. And our lives begin to be changed even Jesus' disciples struggled this, with this on Jesus' last night. He was going to go to the cross and then go back to heaven. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they say, where are you going? We don't know what you're going and, and what's happening. And Jesus just says this to him in John chapter 14, verse 9. He says this. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That if you've seen me, you have seen God. This is why we need to pay attention to who Jesus is. And this is why Jesus is our icon, because this is what I love about Jesus. You know, growing up, I had all these different icons in my life. I grew up in Las Vegas, and uh, the cool thing about Vegas is this. A bunch of famous people would always come into town. And, and I remember I was in junior high. My favorite receiver in football was Michael Irving, played for the Dallas Cowboys. He was my favorite receiver. And I heard that the Dallas Cowboys were coming in for a charity basketball game. And uh, they were staying at the Rio Hotel. Not that I was stalking them, but I was, right? And... Uh, <laughs> And what I loved is this, me and my daddy took me down there because my whole goal was to meet the hero, Michael Irving. And here's what happens. Can you believe it? They had security between me and Michael. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. I'm safe, right? And, and they're like, yeah, we ain't trusting you around Michael Irving. And, and what was so cool was this. After a while, he saw I was kind of standing over there waiting for an autograph. And, and he, was, he was taking care of all of his obligations. And then he came over and he signed a whole thing for me. Super cool moment. And then he went away. And here's the thing for us a lot of times in our life. Oftentimes, we spend our whole life trying to become an icon, like our icons, but we never get close to them. And the icon Jesus has come close to you and I. See, this is what makes Jesus different than anybody else. Most people we idolize and look up to, we never meet. We never get close to they never get to know our names. They never get to know our lives. They never get to know what's going on in our life. And yet our icon comes close to us. And he doesn't just come close to us. Here's what's great. He wants us to grow to be like him. He's going, I got a better way for you. I got a better life for you. This is why Paul reminds the church in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, he says, Jesus just isn't our icon. Listen to what he says. In verse 28, he says, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And he says this, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. 
See, Jesus doesn't want you just to worship him. Jesus wants to change your life so that you become like him. Some of us in this place, we go, man, I need to become more gracious. Jesus says, allow me to be what your life is built upon. And when our eyes are fixed on the one who is gracious, guess what begins to happen to us? We become more gracious. Some of us, we go, man, I want to be more generous with my time. I want to begin to invest in others. I want to begin to serve. I want my life to matter. You know where that comes from? It comes by you and I focusing on the one who is perfect. And the one who is perfect has come near and he begins to change us from the inside out. Uh, Something that's really neat coming up, it's on April 30th. We're hosting an event, not just for church, not just for churches in the area, but for pastors all over. It's a regional event coming up on April 30th called Real Life Theology. And this day on Saturday, April 30th, is from 8.30 to 3, so it's a big day. But here's what we're going to do on this day. We're doing a deep dive into seeing and finding Jesus into every area of our life. If you want your home to become more like Jesus, that day an event's going to talk more about it. If you want your life to begin to be found more in him, we're going to do a more in-depth dive. We're going to talk about how we find Jesus in our gender, in our sexuality, in our home, in our work. It's going to be a deep dive. And you can go on our website, mynorthside.com. It's got all the info in there. But here's what we believe, that our lives become clear when we see Jesus for who he really is. Now, here's the only problem. There's things that keep in the way between you and I becoming like Jesus. And you know what they're called? Idols. Now, some of us wouldn't say that. But here's what an idol is. This is according to dictionary.com. Here's what stands in the way of the icon Jesus beginning to lead in our life. This is what dictionary.com says about the word idols. It says this, idols are an image or representation of God used as an object of worship. The enemy to the icon Satan will use is idols. And here's the thing about idols. Sometimes we don't even recognize them. This is why God, in Exodus chapter 20, when he took the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave the Ten Commandments. Now, let me just say this about the Ten Commandments. I don't know about you. Sometimes I grew up being taught the Ten Commandments were like, if you broke one of them, you were going to get slapped with a ruler, right? And so when I thought of the Ten Commandments, I was like, ooh, better not break those, right? And so here's the thing about Ten Commandments. At the time... It wasn't like God was giving those just to punish his people. When they were coming out of slavery, out of Egypt, they had no idea how to be the people of God. And God goes, I want to give you a way to flourish. And he starts the Ten Commandments by saying this, you know how you'll flourish? Don't have any other gods before me. Don't have any other icons. Allow me to be your God. And then the second command is this, don't have any other idols. See, for you and I today, it's this. It's not will you worship. The deeper question is this. What are you and I already worshiping in our life? Because the idols begin to take our worship when it's not fixed on Jesus. And the idols, this is what I'm learning about idols in our life. Idols aren't bad things. Actually, idols, this is what I'm learning. All idols in our life start as something good. The only problem is this. It's that these good things become ultimate things in our life. See, that's where the idols begin to trick us. This was actually Satan's 
temptation to Jesus. Just bow down and worship me and I will give you all of this. Just make all of these things your idol and I will give you everything else. See, our idols always involve our worship. And what we're going to do today and what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is this. We're just going to talk about one idol in our life. This is what happened in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Paul talks about humanity and he says this about humanity. Paul says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever to be praised. Amen. You know how you and I oftentimes figure out we have an idol in our life? It's when an idol lets us down. Sometimes we don't know we have them in our life until they fail us. Here's today the idol I want us to talk about is this, the idol that gets in the way of our icon, Jesus. It's this, it's the idol of people. Now here's the thing about people. People are made in the image of God. God loves you. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you need to know God made you, he loves you, and he has a plan and a way for your life to be lived. But here's what can easily happen. We'll, become to look, we'll begin to look to people to define who we are. I know I struggled with this as a freshman in high school. Here's what happened. As a, as a freshman in high school, I was five foot tall, and I got cut from every sports team, so I couldn't be on a team. I was five foot tall, and when anybody would call my house and I would pick up the phone, they would say, Rachel, no, this is Nathan, because I still hadn't gone through puberty, right? And so I sounded like my sister. So like everywhere I go, I would just be reminded that I wasn't like all the other guys in my high school, you know, all this other stuff. And I remember, man, just as, as a freshman, I was desperate, couldn't make a team, right? All these other things are going on, just had, to, just had negative thoughts about myself. And here's what was happening. I was comparing myself to everybody else. And then there was a guy in my class, Matt Lee, who this was like 1995, came to school one day and his hair was tipped with bleach blonde tips. And I was like, oh, Matt got a girlfriend with bleach blonde tips. I'm gonna go bleach my hair. And so here's my freshman yearbook picture in high school. And I'm just going, cause I go work for Matt, it's gonna work for me. And I remember the first day, it was picture day. I show up with my hair like this. Here's the first thing that I got met with. Why are you trying to be like Matt? I already felt like I was five steps behind everybody else. Now, I'm seven steps behind. Nothing wrong with Matt. The only problem was this. Without knowing it, Matt had become an idol in my life. Matt had become the definition of success. See, this is what happens in our life. This is why Paul is calling the church to go, hey, hey, every other idol in life, and here's the thing about idols, an idol can be anything good, man. It can be your work until you're a workaholic. It can be a relationship until you can't ever be single. You always have to be in a relationship even if it's unhealthy. Relationships aren't bad until relationships are your everything. Food isn't bad until food defines your life. It's all these things. And what happens is oftentimes we don't realize or recognize what's going on in our life. In the times that I've recognized idols in my own life, even coming out of Bible college, one of the times I was hurt the most was when I had identified this, this pastor as kind of the definition of success for my life coming out of Bible college. So my whole goal was this, just become like him and you'll be a great pastor until a couple years later, I had heard he had kind of said something about me that wasn't very kind. And here's what happened. It not just hurt my feelings. Here's what happened. It hurt more because this guy had become 
my definition of success. See, this is why Paul keeps pointing back to Jesus being the image of the invisible God. This is why he calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. He was never created. He's always been. And so we go, why would Paul call him the firstborn? Well, in first century, here's what happened. The firstborn always had more responsibility and more weight put on their shoulders than any other sibling. More inheritance would go to the firstborn because they were to take care of the rest of the family if something were to happen with the family. And here's what Paul is saying. Allow Jesus to be the authority and the firstborn over your life, meaning this. Allow Jesus' words to actually be more weighty than your own words over your life. See, oftentimes our problem is this. It's not all the idols out there that are destroying our hearts. It's the idols that we allow to rest in here. Paul says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the authority. He's the one that when you and I get confused about what is life about and who are we really and what is my life supposed to be about, he goes, all of that is found when we listen to the voice of God. Tim Keller's book, I found it very helpful in my prep and I read a couple years ago, came back to it, it's called Counterfeit Gods. And counterfeit gods is all about how you and I can identify if we have idols in our life and things that are leading us astray. And he, he gives three questions to mine our hearts for idols that we're not even aware of. Number one, he says, is this, if you want to see if there's an idol in your heart, he says, here's how you can find that is this, just ask this question, what do you fear the most? You know what I feared as a freshman more than anything else? Rejection. And since I feared rejection, I would do whatever it took to get acceptance. Until what I, what I did, what it took to get acceptance, didn't get me accepted. And so what happens is this, there are things in us that we really fear that we haven't even begun to identify. And what Tim says is this, when you and I can be honest with our fears, oftentimes at the bottom of our fears, we begin to find these idols that are there that we had no idea about. Second question he says is this, what makes you and I uncontrollably angry, anxious, or emotionally shuts us down? It's a good question for us to ask this week. God, what triggers me? What, what, what sets us off? What begins to get my heart all riled up? And then his last question is this, what racks us with guilt that we can't shake? See, these are the things that oftentimes define us, we worship, and we have no idea are leading us astray. This is why Paul writes these words, he is the image of the invisible God, he is the firstborn over all creation. And when he says over all creation, what he's meaning is this, he's over all the idols, he's over all the things, and when we put all of creation under God, what we find is this, we find a God who can forgive us in our failures. We have a God who accepts us and heals us when we've let him down. Here's the deal. There's no other idol in the world that does that for us outside of Jesus. This is why Paul says this, that he is over all creation. Some of you are going, Nate, that sounds great. How do I begin to move there then? Here's how we begin to move and allow Jesus to be our icon. It's simply this. We remedy our idols by worshiping the one who's worthy. Your heart and my heart, 
will always be about worship. Some of you are like, Nate, I can't sing. I can't either. Welcome to the club, all right? See, worship isn't actually about whether you and I can sing. Here's what worship is about. Worship is about who you and I are looking to, to shape us, to form us, to be our icon. Let me ask it this way. Who are you comparing in your life to give you success? Who are you comparing yourself to? This week, baseball practice starts for my two boys. Church is where we confess our sins to one another. And uh, you know what I'm already thinking going into it? Here's what I'm already afraid. I wonder how my boys stack up to the other boys. And really, here's what's going on. In, you know, all of us, like, we're like, oh, I hope my, hope my boys aren't the worst boys on the team. Right? And here's really what's going on. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll allow, especially as parents, we'll allow our kids' success to define us as parents. Until, here's what happens, you ready? Until your kid lets you down. And what do you do when an idol lets you down? This oftentimes happens in marriage. You fall in love, your spouse can't do anything wrong until they do something wrong, right? And then here's what happens. When you've lifted them up, and it's great to honor and serve your spouse, but here's the only thing. You know how you honor and serve your spouse well? You allow Jesus to be your standard of success. See, this is how our marriages get redeemed. This is how our marriages hold together, not because a spouse can be your savior, but because both of you are looking towards Jesus. And as you look towards Jesus, it is shaping you and your marriage and your family into the image of Jesus here on earth. See, and it shapes us. This is why Paul says he is the firstborn over all creation. He is worthy of your worship because oftentimes, this is what we forget, the secret to actually changing is dealing with our idols. But let's be honest, we don't like to deal with our idols, do we? This is why we allow the love of God to come in and to deal with our idols. Maybe for some of you in this place, you've tried to change yourself and this is what it looks like for you. This is what I've said before. You know, if I can just get a handle on this, then my life would be a whole lot easier. Boy, if I could just get control over this, I wouldn't be the type of person I am. Boy, if I could get kind of this thing under wraps, things would look different in my life. See, this is why we look to the icon who's over all creation because at the end of the day, the honest truth is this, you and I really can't get that good of a handle on our life like we think. And Paul says, look to the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I love what Augustine says when he says this. He said, it's not about living a less passionate life, but it's about reordering the loves of our heart through one holy passion. God's not asking you to live a less passionate life. He just wants you to passionately pursue the icon, the one who is worthy. I'll tell you this, uh, the past couple of weeks as a staff, we have been praying over what's going on in Ukraine, much like everybody in this room. And uh, a little over a week ago, Barb Andrus, one of our staff members, uh, she used to serve on our student ministry team and she would lead a mission trip back in early 2000s to the Ukraine. Have several friends over there, still friends with translators over there right now. 
And uh, two weeks ago, she reached out to one of the translators and just said, hey, we're praying as a staff. We wanna know what we can do to help as a church, what's going on, how we can step in, what, what, what can we do? And she said, one, we need prayer for what's going on. And she's outside of the city, Odessa, which where the team would fly into and the city where this translator is at, the city's been taken. And that's why we were calling to pray. And she said, but let me tell you about something God's doing. And she said, here's what God's doing in the midst of the rubble, in the midst of the broken buildings. She said, uh, we were going around trying to find people that need help. And we ran into this one building that we found 30 Hungarian Romas, which are known as gypsy people that were buried under a building. They were hiding out, they had nowhere to go, they had no family to flee to, they had nowhere to run to, just 30 of them in the bottom of this building hiding out. And she stepped in and said, what can we do for you? How can we help? And they said, obviously we need food and we need this going on. And they began this relationship with them. And then they did this. They said, hey, this weekend, why don't you come to church with us? It kind of blew my mind to think in war-torn area right now, they're still having church. And they said, what happened at the end of the service was this. They just said, hey, if anybody wants to give their life to the Lord, and she said, what was amazing is this, all 30 of these Hungarians came forward. It's just this amazing moment. Because here's what I forget. But the icon will never be stopped. That the icon will find those who are hiding in basements. And maybe today you may not literally be hiding in a basement, but in your life and in your heart, you have been hiding away because of the guilt and the shame. You're going, I bet nobody has any time for me. And the icon says, I'm not waiting for you to come to me. I've come to you. And I've come to pull you out of the situation that you're in. And I've come to redefine how you look at yourself. I've come because I'm the one who is over all creation. I'm the image of the invisible God. I'm the firstborn. I carry the weight around here because there's a weight that sin carries that you and I can't carry. So this is what I love about Jesus. Not only is he the one who's over all creation, the one who's over all creation got under a cross and he carried it to Calvary so that you and I could have life with him Today, Jesus is saying this to you and I. Don't settle for a substitute. Don't settle for a substitute icon in this life. Let us worship the Savior who redeems, who heals, who finds, who's redeeming all things, even in the midst of war-torn area. I'm telling you this much. This is an opportunity for the church to rise to its feet and step into the broken places and to bring the healing grace of God into a world that is desperate, desperate for hope. What we're gonna to do today is we're gonna end a little bit different. There's a song that the team found and I love the name of this song that we're gonna sing here in a moment. This is what it's called, you ready? Jesus over everything. Thought it was appropriate for today. And we're gonna sing it here in a moment in the middle of the song. We're gonna stop and we're gonna take communion. We're gonna take the bread and the juice to go, yes, Jesus, you are the icon. You are the firstborn. You are the authority and you are over all creation. We're gonna sing this over the next couple of weeks and our prayer is this, that our hearts and our lives would see Jesus for who he is. 
And when we see him for who he is, we would know who we are. So if you would, why don't you stand with me? I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing and then we're gonna take communion together. Let me pray for us right now. Father, God, we'll just be quick to say our hearts are burdened for what's happening in the world. And as we're burdened, Father, we're quick to count the blessing of just the ability to gather here today to lift your name up. Father, we just say thank you. But Father, we also ask that we would see you. So Father, that we would be the people you've called us to be in this world. And Father, I know, God, there are too many times that I've looked for to other good people to be my measure of success rather than you, Jesus. I personally just say thank you. Thank you for being a God who doesn't give up on me. Thank you for being a God who doesn't give up on your church. But thank you for being a God who rushes into our lives and meets us exactly where we are. Father, for those in this room and watching online today who are just struggling with guilt and shame because, God, we know the things that we've marked as success in our life above you. Father, I pray today, just in this moment, we would have a clearer picture of you so that we can walk in your grace and we can walk in your mercy. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being overall, but thank you for going to the cross so that we can find peace and grace and life in this world. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said together, amen. Let's worship our King right now, then we'll take communion in a moment.